Good morning, church. I am not Scott Weatherford. You can tell there's several giveaways. I've got my shirt tucked in. I've got better socks. But I'm going to try to communicate the same truths from God's Word as we are gathered here to worship. My name is Wyatt Warren, and I'm excited that you're here. Today marks the last day of our series um, on Uncommon. And today we're talking about Uncommon Showdown. Um, Next week we'll start This Is Us. It's a new series and there's cards like this, little business cards printed on both sides. They're out in the foyer in several places. You need to get a few of those, get a handful of those and then use them to invite and invite and invite some more as we begin this next exciting series, uh, September 8th. <clears throat> We're, uh, as we talk about showdowns, we've got a generational gap. When I think about showdowns, and many of you that have some gray in your head uh, think about showdowns, you think about things like uh, gunfight at OK Corral. We think about Matt Dillon facing down the bad guy out in the streets of, uh, of uh, what, what city was he in? Dodge City. How did I forget that? He always was a little slower, but he, he had good aim. And um, <clears throat> we, uh, we just have some things like Texas OU Weekend, a showdown. Uh, Texas got off to a good start with the season this year, and uh, we'll see about OU. Uh, but uh, uh, exciting times. Any epic showdown is going to come with basically three parts. There's going to be a buildup to the showdown. It may be some greedy banker or landowner that's trying to take the the, uh, the family farm away from the poor widow lady. Okay? There's something building up. There's something that's causing tension. And then you get down to the showdown itself where it actually happens. And then there's the after effect where uh, long, to- long tall Sam rides off into the uh, sunset and they all live happily ever after, or the Lone Ranger leaves his silver bullet and goes off uh, into the next uh, confrontation. There's there's three parts there. And uh, we're going to try to look at a a showdown today that uh, is uh, very, very important, a very important showdown. Now, I talked about a generational gap I I Googled showdown in preparation for the message today. And you know, one of the first things that came up was Pokemon showdown. (laughs) How many of you relate to Pokemon in here? I don't know. No one's going to confess. All right. But it was all over the place. And I, I thought, what is this? I I miss Matt Dillon. I miss the gunfight at OK Corral. But uh, uh, there's there's a generational gap. 
there's a lot of things uh, that we think about showdowns now that uh, really don't have a lasting impact. But there's several showdowns in scripture that have a lasting impact on us. Let me mention just a few for you to contemplate. When David faced Goliath, what a showdown. They, the, the enemies of Israel had been taunting them with this huge giant and, the, and Israel's show, soldiers were just trembling in fear every day as this huge giant would come out and challenge one of them. And David showed up to bring a lunch, bring a sack lunch to his brothers. And he witnessed this and he was just ashamed of everything that was going on. And he said, what is going on here? Someone needs to stand up to this Goliath. And you know the story. How he selected some stones and, and he killed Goliath with a stone and then with his own sword. Uh, it was a tremendous battle. And the after effect was that the Philistines fled because that was the kicker for the battle. Another um, uh, showdown is when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego faced the fiery furnace because they would not follow the rules that had been laid out for them in exile. And they said, we don't care. We're going to follow God. And God gave them the great victory. And because of that, it changed a nation. And then Daniel in the lion's den. What a showdown. As God sealed the mouths of the lions and Daniel survived the night. And uh, it was a great witness for, for God. And then, of course, the number one showdown that we know of is Jesus. As he was in the garden, sweating drops of blood as he was nailed to the cross and carried our sins with him. And then as he was buried and had uh, victory over the, the grave, what a blessing. That's the reason we gather today to worship because Jesus had the victory. He had the showdown with death and the devil and he won. And because of that, we can rejoice and we can worship him and, uh, and we can look forward to eternity in heaven. We're going to look at a conflict today from Acts chapter 21. Now that's the assigned um, passage, Acts 21, but, uh, and we're not going to read all of that chapter, but uh, uh, we're going to carry on this story into uh, Acts chapter 23. Because Paul had showdown after showdown after showdown. And it impacts our lives today. It impacts our church today. As Paul would go out on his missionary journeys, he would, uh, he would start churches with the Gentiles. He'd start off, his strategy was to start off in a larger city with the synagogue. And he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And then when, uh, when that was rejected by some, he would... Uh, fan out and uh, he would uh, reach out to the Gentiles. He'd start with the, with the Jewish people, but then to the Gentiles. And I am so thankful that God called him 
to minister to the Gentiles, to give the truth about who God is and who his son is and what he has done for us to give us eternal life and to give us purpose in life. Because without that, I would have no hope. How many of you are full blood Jews here today? I don't see any hands. We all have an opportunity to trust in Christ. And Paul was bringing that message. And as he would go around to the Gentiles and he would preach and he would establish churches, there would be people that would follow him that are Judaizers. And they were saying, okay, this is all right if, if, they, uh, uh, if they trust in Christ, but we're going to insist that they follow the Jewish laws, that they follow all the festivals, that they, uh, that they uh, make all the offerings like uh, it says in the Mosaic law. Now they couldn't follow the Jewish law without, uh, without failure themselves, but they wanted these new Gentiles to follow the laws that they themselves couldn't keep. And so it was a struggle. And uh, it was uh, time after time, um, Paul would encounter these and he would have to write letters back to the churches he had established and he'd go back and, and meet with them again and encourage them so that, they would not, so that they would know that they did not have to follow all the Jewish laws. In fact, the Jerusalem Council uh, established that and, um, and told them that they did not have to carry uh, the load of all those laws. <clears throat> and this is the, the 21st chapter of Acts is the third missionary journey, the last missionary journey that Paul has. And he's going to the churches and he's encouraging them. And he's also collecting offering to take back to the uh, Christians in Jerusalem that were, um, were, they were being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. And uh, so we've, we've got several groups at play here. We have Paul and the churches. We have the church in Jerusalem, primarily, mostly uh, Jews that had accepted Christ. And then we have the Judaizers. And the, there's also a, 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 a group of Jews that are very much against Paul. Because you see, the Jewish council had sent him uh, with papers to Damascus many years before. And um, he had this Damascus Road experience and it changed him. It changed his direction. It, it, he stopped being a persecutor of the Christians, the people of the way, and he began to spread the gospel. And uh, so they were, uh, they were upset. There's all sorts of folks that are upset with Paul at this time. And... Uh, but as he goes through this, um, this third missionary journey, he is compelled to go to Jerusalem, even though time after time after time, the churches that he comes to are encouraging, encouraging him not to go to Jerusalem. But in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit 
testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He knew where his confidence was and he was so committed to what God had called him to do. He was willing to go even if it meant he would be imprisoned or even if it meant he was to be put to death. Now, back to the Judaizers. Uh, and Acts 15, before the current account, the Jerusalem council had met and Paul had gone to them, gone to the apostles in Jerusalem and reported to them about all the great things that had happened in the Gentile uh, community, how they had come to know Christ, how they had received the Holy Spirit, how they were uh, worshiping him, how they were serving him, how they were growing in him. And uh, the Judaizers had a great blow when uh, uh, the uh, uh, decision was made as reported in Acts 15, verse 29. They said that you, uh, this is talking from the council to these Gentile believers, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. There's a lot there for us as Gentiles. We don't need to give any indication that we are practicing in idolatry. And I'm not going to go into a lot of uh, idolatry situations with you. You know the things in your life that might be idol worship to you. And he's saying, put that stuff aside whether you're worshiping an idol or a person or money or possessions and on and on. Put that stuff aside and don't give me any indication that you are involved in idol worship. And uh, refrain from being sexually immoral. And if you do these things, you'll fare well. And so they have given them instruction and Paul has taken that to heart and he's given that instruction to the churches of the Gentiles that he has established. Now, as he goes through this uh, third missionary journey, he's coming to these churches and they are just, they're, they're dying inside because Paul has meant so much to them. Because when no one else was called to go to them and tell them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ, no one else was making a stand for them. No one else was helping them to grow and to become established in the Lord. Uh, no one else was teaching them how to witness. And he came as the first and, and he helped them to grow. Think, if you will, that person that was so influential in your life, if you know Jesus Christ, your, your, your passion for them, your love for them, your appreciation that you have in your heart for that person is so, is so moving. 
And many times as we have to say goodbye to someone, I know when Pat and I, and by the way, Pat is the one that introduced me to Christ with her life. And I'm so thankful for my wife. And she is an evangelist. She's a wonderful laborer in the Lord. And, and I, I love her for so many reasons other than being my wife. She is just a good, good person. When she and I were, were dating, when we were engaged to be married, I would go see her and, and it'd take me an hour and a half to say goodbye because I'd just linger and linger and linger and I think she finally would say, just go away. <laughs> You've had those experiences where you love someone so much that it's hard to say goodbye. That's the way these churches were as they were saying goodbye to Paul. One account, especially as Paul was, uh, he had spent about seven days with the elders of, from Ephesus. This is on his third missionary journey. They did not meet in Ephesus because they knew that the crowd would be pressing around Paul, so they went to a remote, more remote location, and he just met with the elders. And in verse uh, Acts 20, 37 through 38, there's an account here. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They just had a hard time saying goodbye. And Paul had told them that he was willing to die. He was willing to be in prison. He was willing to give up his life because he was going to be obedient to Christ. He was committed to following Christ in every way that, uh, that Christ was leaving, leading him. There was a similar farewell from the church in Tyre. And then in Caesarea, in verses 10 through 14 of uh, chapter 21, he gets another word, another pro prophetic word about what's going to happen to him if he continues on this path to go to Jerusalem, to have this showdown. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. And since, we would not be, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, Paul was no stranger to hardship. 
He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten and left for dead. And he had been in prison many times. And uh, he knew what it was like to suffer for the Lord. And so he was, um, he was ready to do whatever was required of him. So he entered into Jerusalem. He met with the uh, apostles there, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they encouraged him. They said, look. These Judaizers, they think you're a traitor to the cause of uh, Judaism. So we're, we're encouraging you to uh, take this entourage. They had four men that had taken an oath to stand by Paul. And, th- and Paul paid for their, hairs, uh, their hair to be shaved. And it was a, a matter of purification. And he himself had his head shaved. And they entered into the temple. And when they entered into the temple, a riot broke out because the Judaizers were there and the Jews were there and they, they just came in on Paul and they were attacking him to the point that the uh, Roman officer in charge of that area uh, had to intervene and save Paul from, from this group that was, uh, that was attacking him. They, they attacked him so viciously and the rescue was so dramatic that they had to pick Paul up and carry him above their heads to a, a porch where they were going to put him in the barracks where he would be safe. And Paul said, just a minute, let me speak to the people. And he began to speak to them in Hebrew. And when he spoke in Hebrew, they became silent and they listened and they listened until the time that he, uh, he told all of his account how he had been given papers to go and, and to persecute the people of the way, the followers of Christ. And, uh, and until he got to the part where, where he was on the road to Damascus and told about his conversion experience. And then instead of being a persecutor of those that were following the way, he became a missionary to the Gentiles. He had, he had all kinds of uh, trouble there, but he gave his testimony. He was bold with his testimony. And the uproar was so great that the uh, Jewish officer, excuse me, the Roman officer uh, said, I'm going to take this guy to the Jewish council the high priest, the Sanhedrin, uh, those that were both Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, they, they had different political stance. They had different views on eternity. Uh, the Sadducees did not believe that there was any afterlife. They did not believe in the spirit or angels. And uh, the Pharisees did. And Paul himself was a Pharisee. And when he stood before uh, the Jewish council, he again told his story. And they became riotous as well. And the uh, Roman tribune had to go in and rescue him from that as well because he was fearful that they would tear him limb from limb. There's a verse here. um, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. 
The results of the showdown were that uh, God gave, gave Paul another vision. Sometimes God reveals his plans to us after we have shown ourselves to be faithful to fulfill what he has already shown to us. It's a progression. God revealed, God saved me with the blood of his son. I was so glad to receive the salvation that I received. I had no clue that he was going to call me to the ministry. A lot of other people couldn't believe that either. But it was a progression. As I trusted in Christ, as I grew in him, as, um, as I became, became burdened for the lost people, he put a call on my life. Pat refers to it as my middle, uh, middle-aged crisis, okay? But it was a call to, to serve. And when I received that call at first, I, I bristled at it because I thought he was calling me to missions in deepest, darkest Africa. And I threw up all kinds of excuses. But then finally, after wrestling with the Lord for some time, I said, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. And I'll do it wholeheartedly. Wherever you have for me to go, I'll go. And at that point, he relieved me of the uh, call to, to Africa. You'll see that that changed even more later on. In Acts 23, verse 11, Paul is given a revelation for his next step. He knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he had to tell the story of his conversion. He knew he had to tell about how God had worked with the Gentiles. But at this time, and this is after the showdown with the Judaizers in the temple, after the showdown with the uh, with the high priest and the Jewish, uh, Jewish council. Uh, he has a dream. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for you have, uh, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, from there, he, he appealed to Rome and, uh, and so he had to be sent as a Roman citizen. He had to be sent to Rome. Paul had such impact on us. Four of his uh, 13 books of the New Testament, at least 13. Uh, he may have written Hebrews as well. But four of those 13, he wrote from Rome. Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and Philemon were his prison epistles. God just used him in a miraculous way. And that's a guide for us to know how we can know God, how we can know God through his son, Jesus Christ, as Gentiles. And I'm so thankful for him. We are indebted to him and what he has done. 
Now, you may be thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me because Paul's already had those showdowns. But I want to share with you a modern day showdown. In, in uh, um, 2007, I came here to be on staff. And uh, Mark Bryant, the pastor at the time, said, Wyatt, there's a group that's going to Kenya, Africa on mission. Why don't you just go with them and see what there is to do there? Remember, I'd already bristled about going to Africa. I'd use all kinds of excuses. Well, it was kind of bad timing because we went and, well, from our perspective, it was bad timing. God's perspective, it was perfect timing. We went there in December and they had presidential elections. There were two main candidates that were vying to be the president of Kenya. There was a Kukuyu, that's a tribe, man that wanted to be president. He was ultimately elected. And there was a Lua that was trying to be president as well. And they had these elections and they were contested. And because of that contesting, tribal warfare broke out while we we're in country. It was Kukuyu against Lua. By the way, uh, President Obama's father was a Lua. And uh, uh, just a little side note there. But this tribal warfare broke out. Over 1,400 people were murdered, slaughtered in different areas at different times. And people were killing other people just because of the tribe that they were in. They would set up false official roadblocks. And if someone had the wrong dialect or the wrong facial features, they were hacked up with machetes. We had pastors that were uh, causing their congregation to rise up against neighboring churches, neighboring Christian churches, because they were a different tribe. There was one man, and let's try to get his picture up there if you would. Pastor George an Anglican priest. Now, we did not know him at the time, but later on, we got to know him. You can see him pictured there with uh, Pastor Larry Adams. Um, they saw eye to eye on lots of things because they were both very short. <laughs> and they loved the Lord greatly. Now, we heard of this great heroic act. And we had no clue who this person was. But his fame spread around the, the whole region. He had a church in Navasha, which was about an hour's drive from the orphanage where we were staying. And his bishop had told him Look, there's going to be trouble in Navasha. You need to take your wife and your two children and leave the area because there's going to be trouble. And he and his wife prayed about it and they said, how can we ever tell our congregation again to take a stand for Jesus Christ if we run in the face of this danger? 
So they ignored the, the, uh, the bishops urging to move out of the area to avoid the conflict. A lot of people were moving around. There were hundreds of thousands of people that were displaced, along with 1,400 that were murdered. Hundreds of thousands moved to their different tribal areas. And he was encouraging him to do that. But how can we ever challenge our people to take a stand for Christ if we run in the face of this danger? So they stayed. And lo and behold, the conflict came to their town. There was a mob of men with firebombs and machetes, and they came through the streets. And as they came to a, a, a business or a home of that other tribe, these were Lua, and they were attacking Kuku. As they came to those Kuku businesses or homes, they would firebomb the building with Malkoff cocktails. And then as the people would run out into the street, they would murder them with their machetes. Pastor George saw this coming down the street and he took his Bible and he put on his collar and he went out into the street and as he got into the street, his own home was firebombed. He had to go back and take his wife and two children out the back door. No one would have blamed him if they'd have just kept on going. But he got his Bible again and he went out into the street and he stood before them with, they still had firebombs, they still had their machetes, they still had murder in their heart and Pastor George stood there in the street and told them to stop what they were doing and leave and he commanded them to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. They just looked at him like they couldn't believe. But what they did, they turned and they left. What a showdown. And the fame of his heroism spread across the area. We didn't know his name. We didn't know anything about it. Our van driver was telling us about this great showdown that had happened in the streets. He had nothing but the Holy Spirit in him and the word of God and commanded them to stop. Later on, God moved in myself and Larry and others. Some of you have gone with us to Kenya to have pastor's conferences. And we started having pastor's conferences. And one of the faithful men that would come to those pastor's conferences was Pastor George. Can we put his picture back up there again? He was so faithful, such an encouragement to everyone that was there. And then one day after several years of the pastor's conference, and it grew from the first day we had 25 pastors to we were, re we were receiving over 200 pastors in the conference. God was moving through that. And one day we received some troubling 
word that the Muslims were having a rally in up north in Nakuru, another hour's drive past Navasha. And they were having a rally and demonstrating, wanting Kenya to establish Sharia law. Now, if Sharia law were to be established there, that meant that many of these Christian pastors would be, they would be in danger. They would uh, possibly be uh, uh, martyred and put to death, tortured, because they would not hold to the Muslim law. And the conference just, there was such a sense of fear and oppression that came across them. And so we just had to stop everything. And I, I said, we need to pray. And I, I called on Pastor George to pray. The same Anglican priest that had stood in the street, he had been in the showdown. He had been committed. He had seen the victory. And so he prayed and he prayed a very simple prayer. And I will never forget it. Larry Adams was there. He'll never forget it. He said, Lord, if we must die, help us to remain faithful. How many of us in this room would be able to voice that prayer and mean it? If we must die, Help us to remain faithful. There's going to be times in our lives that we have a showdown. Now, I'm not asking you to take this message and go out and decide, we're going to have that showdown right now. God had called Paul to be in that situation. If you're going to have a showdown for the Lord, make sure he's calling you to do it. Make sure his Holy Spirit is directing you to do it. Now, if you're never having any in, in your walk through life, if you're never encountering the devil, you might need to examine your walk. You may be going the same direction he is. Okay? There's four things I want us to consider if we're going to go into a showdown. The first is confidence. Paul had great confidence that God was calling him to do what he did, to go to the Gentiles and to, uh, uh, to preach the message because of his Damascus Road experience. The only way we can have confidence is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's some other folks that are peddling faith in Christ, but the, the Christ that they're worshiping, that they're calling on, is not the Jesus that we know. It's important to have confidence in whatever we're doing. Even though some of you are concerned, I have confidence in this stool. <laughs> Sometimes we can place our confidence in the wrong thing. I know uh, 
my dad was a construction superintendent as I was growing up. And uh, he had us do a lot of different things that were not probably very safe. OSHA, we were just beginning to hear about them. I, uh, I was a little heavier than I am now, but strangely shaped different. And I, there was uh, something to be done almost three stories high at the top of the second floor building. The only way to get there was with the longest extension ladder I have ever seen in my life. It was probably rated for 175 pounds. But up the ladder I went because I was told to do it. And I had confidence in that ladder. That was misplaced confidence. <laughs> As I got to the top and started working on the project, I had a sign. I don't remember what the project was, but I remember that feeling of that ladder starting to buckle and fold up underneath, underneath me. And I rode it all the way to the ground. I'm not really afraid of heights. I am very concerned about the sudden stop at the bottom. <laughs> My confidence in that ladder was misplaced. The only person that we can truly have confidence in is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The scriptures are clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no other name under heaven that we can be saved by. Our confidence has to be placed in Jesus Christ. Not only is our confidence important, but our commitment to him is vital. Just as Paul knew that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem, even if it meant his death, he was committed to follow God's direction. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you committed to follow him wherever he leads you? If you are, if you have that confidence in Christ, that faith in Christ, and you're committed to his cause, then you will receive courage just like Pastor George and Paul had. And you can stand where there needs to be a stance. Even if there's conflict. If there's, if there's conflict, and sometimes the conflicts are, are, are different than life and death. Sometimes the conflict might be, do I engage in this immoral activity? Do I engage in, um, in drunkenness? Do I engage in thievery? Do I engage in all these other things that might not bring honor to God? There's going to be other conflicts that come to our lives other than life and death. But we have to have that faith. We have to have that confidence. We have to be committed. And with that, we will have courage in the conflict.